0: It's Sam Swakowski here from the Fremantle Dockers, and you are listening to the Footy Mailbag Podcast with Damo and Emma. Hello and welcome to the Footy Mailbag. My name is Damo and we are finishing off the team previews today, looking at Geelong, St. Kilda, Port Adelaide, the Giants and West Coast. Joining me, as he usually does, is Clarky. How are you, mate? Demo this week,
1: Supercoach Public Picker dropped, and it revealed to us the number of trades that we have. And I I'll refuse from saying the, the dreaded words that conjure the number, but it's like Earth has opened up and everybody has started losing their minds. This is going to be a very, very special season for a lot of reasons. So... I'll let you introduce the guest because we've brought on one of the best experts I can think of to talk through this.
0: Our expert comes from the coaches panel who are in the midst of doing their top 50 most relevant. It is MJ. How are you? Lads, it's so good to see you. Footy Mailbag, you guys have been a,
2: some of my favorite people in the fantasy community for a really long time and and seeing you step out in your own doing some great content for the community is brilliant and Yeah, I'm excited what this 40 trades. Yeah, I'll say it, Clarky. that's hard. I'll (laughs) say the dirty number. Yeah, that. I'm a coward. I think it's great. Like every single year has brought us a new set of challenges. From back in 2020, how do you navigate shortened games and and the COVID impacts around that? The multi-buyers have been around for a number of years, returning back to the vests uh, as recently as the past few seasons. And now opening round, early buys, mid-season buys, and, and some additional trades good coaches adapt and so yeah i remember playing super coach where it was like you got 20 trades and and good luck and now i think going 20 trades i'm like man i'm going to burn through that before i get to the first of the mid season buy so th- the game evolves and changes and the good thing is the nuances of it the principles are still the same the learnings are still the same the strategies just adjust as they should every year
1: yeah it always comes down to how how we use them and i think you give someone more tools and they're going to make something that's more complicated, right? So the strategies are going to get more complex and there's going to be, especially I think for leagues, you're going to be playing more mind games with your fellow league mates where maybe you have a week where you go, this might be the week for me to sideways, you know, Charlie Curnow to Tom Hawkins because Hawkins is playing Essendon. So that's a seven goal guarantee, you know? And I think that's, that's something that we really kind of take for granted when the game is played the same way regularly like we have the same upgrade as we know we have to get everything done by you know the start of the first major buys so there's a lot there's a lot to think about over the coming weeks and i hope you know we can all just take it in stride and i know some people aren't happy and i
0: yeah, think it's probably okay. an elephant
1: yeah that, that's okay that's something we can address a bit of an elephant in the community at the moment but it's always important to remember to, that we respect one another and understand that we can't control it individually. We're going to have our different perspectives, but we all manage through it because it's still part of the game that we love.
0: It's really not the end of the world, and I think the real curveball was when op- opening round got announced with those subsequent buys in in in, in in the following weeks. So I think if that didn't happen, then we might have stayed at the thirty six or even the number drop. So yeah. I think it's as much the AFL's fault as as as, as it is the people who make the decisions. So. so it's Gill and right. McLaughlin's fault. Great. This we know Gil's who we're fault. going for. We, we know all along. This is Gill's fault. And Gill's not even there anymore. So yeah, it's, a, which it's makes amazing it even it's wilder.
1: Fault.
0: So as I said at the top, we're looking at Geelong, St. Kilda, Port Adelaide, the Giants, and West Coast to finish off our team previews. And we go line by line, and we will start in defense with Tom Stewart, almost as reliable as they come apart from some injury troubles the last few weeks, the last few seasons, I should say. Um, averaged 113.7 in um, in 2023 across 22 games, but he did have an 18 in that total points. So his average actually shoots much higher than that, or not much higher, but quite a bit higher than that if you take that out. Is he someone that you just have to pick because there's no opening round, no like only one buyer to worry about, pretty reliable. His role's pretty much going to be the same at Geelong. Is he the guy?
1: It's very interesting to think about Tom Stewart. And last year there was almost the immediate anxiety that was caused by his injury. And there was talk of when's he going to, like, is he going to be gone multiple weeks? Is he going to be gone like long-term? Like what's, what's happening here? And then he came back and ended up playing 22 games. And at an average of 113, and like you said, Damon, rightfully, his average could have been considerably higher without that 18 in there. The argument I have is that, is he too expensive to start? Given, and even some of the options that we've spoken about previously, not just in this episode alone, I would be concerned about spending 635,000 on, even though he's a consistent defender, well, well versed in scoring it's a
0: lot of it's a lot of money to put up front so we said at the top with the extra trades people will have different strategies could we start a Tom Stewart and then pick up Nick Nick Dacos after the Collingwood buy you
2: definitely can um, I, I'm always a believer of The old school mentality approach to super coaches, get your premiums, lock them in and run them away. That's the old school approach. Get the guys you want to have for the season and run them through. With someone like a Dacos, I reckon there might be some other avenues to get there that you don't have to kind of just take a sideways manoeuvre. There's guys that we'll get to a little bit, but someone like a Witherden. A yo, These guys that present a potential pathway both through early fixtures, the opportunity to generate some cash, outperform through some money. And then once you've cleared the tags of Drew and McGuinness, that are obviously forecast, we don't know for sure, that round five buy, hopeful that magic numbers drop that price a little bit there. So I'd probably rather than looking for a premium-to-premium move, and again, that might be a great and a really valid approach to go, I'd rather, if you were bullish on starting Stewart, it to be because you want him through that first half of the year. You see that little bit of upside baked into the value that you mentioned due to that injury. You go, I know on his days a 150 ceiling player. I can put the VC on him when they're down at GMHBA. I can see this narrative. I reckon if you're worried about how to get to Dacos – there's a bunch of these mid-range guys that you're just looking for a five or six week run and hoping and praying it pays off. Can I just say, I think I'm, I'm getting a little bit worried now because
1: the, the way that we're talking about these trading strategies and and like Damo said, you know, the opportunity, maybe do you go Tom Stewart and then try to slide into a Nick Day and that kind of thing. And I'm going to say shout out to our friend Supercoach with DR. It's a bit like a Supercoach stock market. It feels like there might be a really, really fast pace that we're going to have to try and keep up with using those extra trades that we have, plan- planning out like we normally do and go, I need X amount of trades to get to my full premium with a little bit of, with a little few pieces on the side to help. But also you're going to have these extra trades where you're like, well, this is the opportunity to buy low. Hey, you know, you know, like you said, Elliot Yo, I think is one that I'm. I'm not personally, no, thank you. But there's, as you said, there's a people going to be bullish on that. Are you buying low, knowing that you're going to get the upwards Yo? Like it's it's all cash generation, and that's going to be really fascinating, I think, this year, which is probably for me the way I would why I'm not a stockbroker. I wouldn't buy high <laughs> on Tom Stewart. I think, you know, even though there's argument that he could be more expensive, I think there's better value in some of the cheaper players.
0: Next player on the list is Jack Sinclair at St. Kilda. And MJ, you're fresh off doing an episode about him for your top 50. I am. I didn't realize how consistent he was last season and how well he adapted to being moved to different positions until you pointed out on your episode and doing the research for the spreadsheet that I've sent you guys just peeling back the curtain a little bit I didn't realize prepare what (laughs) I I didn't realize how even though he only had 19 scores above 90 the ones that he didn't reach up to 90 weren't actually that far behind I think there were quite a few in the 80s and maybe one in the 70s or or something like that but he was really quite consistent and for a Ross Lyon team, when he moves people around, they don't usually adapt that well. Yeah.
2: St Kilda so fascinate me. They they led the league for disposals last year. They led the league for marks and they found this way that from a volume of scoring potential in super coach, that they, they shared the load so beautifully well. And Jack Sinclair, like you mentioned, Damo, now two seasons in a row, just one of the most reliable, durable, consistent defenders going around. You put him at halfback, he'll find a way to get you a 130. You put him on the wing, he'll get link-ups through the chain. We know how supercoach scoring works, that that damaging inside 50, the score involvement, the effective disposals, it all connects. And then, yeah, throw him in the CBAs. I'll pop a 130 for you there as well. So he's so good. He does have a slightly better scoring at Marvel Stadium than anywhere else, and and you understand that. One, they play there. Two, the, under the cover, it does suit a little bit more fast-paced, smooth-moving football, which is certainly where he sits in there. For me, I would say Sinclair is a guy you're going to look at if you are not interested or concerned about Nick Dacos and the tag early. Because when you look at this round 15 block of defensive premiums you've got sicily you've got dacos you've got a nazaire wanganine miller who could jump up he's got the skill sets from a super coach perspective to be an absolute star you've got a sinclair that rolls through there you've got a short you've got a whitfield i know there's some names we're going to get to as well but you can't get them all. Otherwise, you're going to backload the pain when it comes to that round 15 buy. So, for me, if you're not looking at a, a day cost because you're concerned about the buyers of the tags, Sinclair has to come in consideration. If you're bullish on Dacos and you're going, no, I'm going to work my way through the early buy, I'm not going to be concerned by the tags. I just want the best defender for as long as I can have him. And that's a perfectly valid mindset as well to play super coach. Then you do start looking at a Sinclair. Um, so to me, that probably almost unlocks the key about how I view Sinclair is, are you bullish on Dacos to start? Great. You're probably not looking at Sinclair. You're not keen on Dacos? All right. Well, well you're going to need to get a D1 somewhere. And Jack for his two years has been brilliant. Post-buy went 112 in Supercoach. He can be as good as a defender as we've got. And like you said, great ceiling, nice high scoring floor too.
0: Port Adelaide, Dan Houston across that half back last season had a really high ceiling, but also had quite a low floor with some real, real stinkers in, in in there as well. But still managed to average 106.1 across 23 games with 15 scores of 90 plus. He's won at 593k, who is another player who we could seriously look at because they've only got that one round 13 by um, that they share with the Dockers.
1: I, I, I can't look away from a man who can go from scoring 176 to a 61, I think was one of his lowest scores. <laughs> I am interested to see how Port Adelaide structure up a little bit. I think they have a list that is full of natural talent and, that pains me to say about Port because they're not not one of my favourite clubs. They're not even my fa- favourite South Australian club. So that's Norwood in the Yeah, form. of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, it's it's hard to look away. I think, and I've said this before, and maybe I'm boring for thinking this way, but I think at his price, I would want to be paying for more consistency. Five ninety three is. I'd rather pay more for Tom Stewart. If if you went, do you want Dan Houston or do you want to spend a little bit of extra money and buy Tom Stewart? I'd buy Tom Stewart every day. I think he's overinflated because of those excessively large scores towards the back end, and he has that an ability. And I think there's Port Adelaide probably need to do something to rejuvenate how their game plan works, and especially with actually probably going to have a ruckman this year. <laughs> I think is the plan for Port Adelaide. So. I think that might change the way that they choose to flow their game, which probably has a flow and effect of Dan Houston. I, You could tell me that he'd be in the top 10 defenders at the end of the year, and I'd believe you, but should he be in our starting sides, I'd, I'd probably have to pass on him.
0: With the additions to Port Adelaide's list with um, Asava Radagalia, Brandon Zerk-Thatcher, yes.
2: yeah.
0: how is that backline going to look? Who's now going to be freed up by having those players added into the mix who is now going to have to move up the ground to get their possessions who who's going to be swung into the forward line now that they're not needed in defense could could we see trent mckenzie's booming kick used across half forward to try and move some of that ball into the, in to the into scoring scoring range much faster like because we don't know how their team's going to look with all these new additions it's hard to see what role dan houston has ken hinckley he wants to get that premiership because if it feels like it was not this year, then he might not get his chance to get one because he's, because he's treading water a little bit at the moment. So he would want to play his best players in their best positions. But what does he think that looks like is one of the questions that we need answered. Which is wild well, to think... say
1: of a long-term coach. Sorry. Sorry, Dan. No, no, no. I, th- uh,
0: I th- yeah, think well, the other
1: I element... Wild to say <laughs> on the long-term coach to not know what their team looks
2: like. And I'm always, when you see a player like Houston, ownership should never play a defining factor in your decision. But it is an interesting informing part of your decision because if you're going, like you said, Clarky, that 40k difference between a Stewart to a Houston, well, the ownership percentage, it's 4% of the competition right now for Dan. And so you are putting yourself in the minority. Yes, it helps your buy structure, but that's on the premise now. You're holding him through till the end of round 15. Otherwise, that's not really making that significant difference. There's five, six other teams that don't have a buy till you've got your Adelaide teams, you've got a St Kilda, you've got a Hawthorne. So it's not like Port Adelaide and Fremantle are the unicorn teams that are only going to help you. There are others that are there as well. So when you elevate your risk profile with a Houston by ownership, it means it has to work. Because if it doesn't, you find yourself further from the pack as opposed to a Nick Dacos, for example, you know, coming back to using him as a reference point. 60% of super coach right now at time of recording own him. So if that doesn't work, you don't fall that far away from the chasing pack. Yep, you're behind and some other coaches that are faded are ahead. But that's the differential of how I look at it. You look at that to a Tom Stewart, 28% ownership right now. So you feel there's a bit more safety in numbers. And if it works for you, okay, yep, you're away. But I'm a big believer of sometimes just,
0: just play the straight bat sometimes early in the year. Next player on the list has had his fair share of injuries over the last couple of years, but played 21 games in 2023, and averaged 92.9. It is Lockie Whitfield. Uh, With the Giants having the early buy, though, if they didn't have the early buy, I imagine he would have been far more popular.
2: Yeah, like he had a really underrated season last year. Sometimes players just find this way to get there and then they don't. Post-buy last year, he went at 107.1. And by average, is his 14th best defender and his ceiling scores were as good last year as it's ever been. From him. So I look at a player like Whitfield and go, they've got a really nice early couple of weeks. It's almost a, the dream fixture combo you could ask for and then the dreaded buy. So can you start a premium with an early buy? We, we did an episode on Lockie in the 50 most relevant just maybe two or three weeks ago now. And, and the conversation around that was, can you start him? Yeah, like any premium early on. It's not a premiums out from these early buys. What it is is premiums into your team mean a higher prioritization of what you want, which impacts the structure of your side. So if you want to put a Whitfield in at D1 or D2, no worries. That just means the other guys from that buy round, you're going to have to start reconsidering. So it might impact the way you look at a Tom Green. It might impact the way you look at a Sam Flanders. It might impact the way you view a Took Miller because now it's impacting your risk profile with more cows on field. Yes, it's best 18, but you're needing the opportunity for them to pick up a potential gap with a premium out. So to me, Whitfield's a great player. I'm going to probably seriously consider him at some point in the season. The question is how you prepared to structure that early buy. And if you can work with him, great. If you don't want to do that, it's around four onwards.
1: I think with Whitfield, the other thing that is definitely worth considering is he finished the season a lot stronger than he started. And I think that coincided as well with the Giants really charging home at the end of 2023. So if the game plan for the Giants comes out really strong at the start of this year, Whitfield is a core component of what makes them good. And like you said and it's it said in the it's said in the 50 most relevant that you've put out on him but his consistency even with his injury history is still something that's Good. it's worth 519,000 I'll say I'll say that it's absolutely worth it he's been in my considerations and he's been in the few drafts um that I've done of my team so far just because he does represent value even with the early buy
0: The next player that we've got here is Liam Duggan at West Coast. Average 90.1 across 22 games and is priced at 503500 And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't considering him because, well, there's no Shannon Hearn. And if you listen to the reports about their match simulations, he's going to be seeing some of that midfield. Guys,
1: can I can I just say... I have no idea what West Coast are going to do this <laughs> this year. It's I'm trying to compute it in my head where I'm like, right, what specifically can like can they move and really drastically improve? Because I think that's the number one thing that they need to show next year is that they're not dead in the water. There's and, and I think we should talk about probably the other two West Coast players that are in here. We've got um, Alex Witherden is another consideration with the with out of Hearn. And we've got Elliot Yo, who, as, as is the time of year, much like Santa arriving on Christmas, he is healthy right now, uh, supposedly, allegedly healthy right now. And does that represent a gift? Is that a curse? Who, who knows? I think there's a lot of question marks over West Coast and... Do you go with an option like Liam Duggan, who has done it over the course of the year in a year that wasn't particularly good for West Coast, even defensively, I think we can say? Or do you go with someone like Alex Witherton, who has been with West Coast for a couple of years now, went over and we were talking about him not even two years ago and going, Alex Witherton, this is the time for him. This is the time for him to step up. He has premium potential but it hasn't eventuated. So I don't know if you you two have a better bearing on what West Coast are doing, but I'm, I'm going to be very transparent and say, these guys are all question marks for me. And does that make them less pick-worthy? Absolutely not. But it does mean that you have to be willing to take on a certain amount of risk when you know that a play a massive player has left a hole in a unit.
0: We'll talk about the three that you mentioned as 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 one, I guess. Liam Duggan, I feel more comfortable selecting him just due to his durability and his status within the West Coast team. Alex Witherden sometimes hasn't been selected even without Shannon Hearn being fit in, previous, in the previous years that they've both been at the club. And I don't know if that's because of how they see Alex Witherden's form or how they see his connection with the other players, but I'm much more comfortable picking Liam Duggan at a similar price. As for Elliot Yeo, in previous years, he's been a much cheaper price to start, but at 447K, you're investing a lot more money in him. And we're seeing some premiums on some lines almost being that price. And so by picking Elliot Yo, who doesn't have a short foot for, form doesn't have a short fitness you're essentially robbing yourself of a more reliable premium and someone who can put up numbers week to week whereas elliot yo what role is he going to have is he going to be in the midfield is he going to be in defense is he going to be on the wing is he going to be in the forward line it's the same questions that we had with port adelaide's backline structure that we've now got with elliot Yeo. and west coast are going to try and fix whatever the hell happened last year because because that was a, a train wreck so we could see some players get complete role changes to try and fix whatever the hell happened there and <laughs> and and I feel like Elliot Yo is one of those players that is a plug and play mis- mr fix it whereas we know what role Liam Duggan's going to have and but and we don't know if Alex Willettin is in fact going to be selected at all
2: I think that's the beauty of the preseason for us, isn't it? We're going to get multiple weeks of opportunities to garner information from the club through press conferences and intra club match simulations. Yes, they need two of everything in those match simulations, but it does give us a small indicator. Then those practice and preseason matches get all that data together, and then it's now a question of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And does a Duggan fit? Do you believe he can push from that ninety to a hundred? Because if you do, well. Based on current data, we've only got, what, seven, eight? defenders that are currently coming in with a seasonal average of 100 plus normally we're looking at 105 110 sort of guys in super coach that we really want to push it can Duggan get there does Witherden get that lion's share that you mentioned he's got some terrible ball use but if he's only doing 30 meter passes and just playing chip chip football the uncontested won't really help him and then you mentioned yo the, the forever gauntlet that if you can get a great six weeks you know he's got 100 capacity over a six six week stretch. You also know he could take six steps on a football field and he won't play for six weeks. And so the the beauty of the pre-season is watch, learn, observe and then apply the learnings when it comes to the start of round 1.
0: Nazir wanganin Malera at St Kilda, he only averaged 85.1 but he is priced at 475k so I've classed him as a premium, even though he's not quite there yet. Do we feel that he could make that jump? Or is St. Kilda still much of an unknown that we can't really rely on him at 475k? I think if
2: you're picking him, it's one of two things. Is you believe he will take that step. He has all the skills that, from a super coach perspective, we look at. And that we love for a rebounding defender. Beautiful when he gets the ball by foot and by hand. Takes the game on, so lots of effective disposals, lots of high metres gain type of player, lots of impacting the scoreboard through inside 50s, rebound 50s, and also score involvements. Gets some reasonable marks, needs to build a little bit more strength in his overhead marking, but for a rebound and running defender, for a second-year player, remember, second year, if it wasn't for a Nick Dacos, we'd probably be looking at him as the best second-year player entering into their third season of football so this kid's got some wheels and it wouldn't shock me to ever see him go 110 in super coach is it this year to pick him you've got to be bullish on him going 100 105 because as you mentioned damo there's a duggan just a few thousand dollars difference he's in competition with that spot the beauty is There are so many parachute options for us there. And the increment of trades does mean we can take some more calculated risks on players and breakout options like a Nazair. You've got to be careful how many, but instead, and with trade boosts now, you can be even more aggressive early and go, right, I'm bullish on a Nazair. I'm bullish on, just picking a random name, a Josh Rochelle. I'm bullish on a Cam Guthrie. I'm bullish on a this. Right. One of them's going to stick. And the others? I'll get the set field that pops. I'll go to the Will Day that does what he does. I'll make sure I don't miss the Nick Dacos that'll take a season away from me if I don't move to him. So I think that's the beauty of these increased trades that as a format we should see is we can increase our risk profile now a little bit more, be a bit more bullish on this breakout, be a bit more bullish on this guy stepping up. And if he doesn't, you're not emotionally attached just drop it like a high school crush move on and pick something else um and if it pops for you you're away but watch the game observe and if it doesn't hit your internal markers naziah turn him into someone else
1: naziah got those vibes as well like it just it's always 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 the best when you pick a player and you're able to watch and you're not able to say this a lot about ross lion teams as well guys but you see a player and he gets the ball and he has your attention that's so good. It's so much fun to be like, I own that guy. That's good. He's popping and I'm watching. That's, oh, it's like chef's kiss.
0: We'll move on to the midfield in just a second. Lockie Ash, um, we kind of run out of time for, but... The reason I included him was I feel like his diversity is almost his worst aspect because he doesn't have one position that he's that, that he's in. If he was a cross back for his entire season, I would love the selection. Um, Jace Burgoyne and James Leake um, present themselves as potential cheapy options. Jace Burgoyne looks like he's going to have a bigger role with no Dersma or Bonner at Port Adelaide. James Leake was um, one of the Giants' top selections. In the midfield, starting with Zach Butters, and we'll talk about Connor Rosie at the same time. And I'll bring up uh, Super Coach Potato on Twitter. He brings up a very good point. Feels like you're going to get about 240 points from these guys every week. It's just a matter of who puts up 100 and who puts up 140.
1: Okay, that's fair. That's I don't I that's actually the perfect way to describe it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't think you can really go wrong with either. I'm, I'm a little more bullish on Butters. I think he's got the better ceiling for us there. The way he plays the game is, is a little bit more favorable to a super coach scoring component with the impact per possession that he has. But it won't shock me this year to see one of them have a 110 season and one of them have a 116, 117 season. Like both of these guys are going to be in our super coach sides for a really long era. And I think that's a beautiful summary that it's going to be one or the other. Do you take stocks in both or do you pick your favorite? Personally, I'm leaning more on butters in Supercoach at the moment. But if anyone says they're bullish on Rosie, I go, I get it. Captain of the club, skillful user, all Australian star for the past 30, 40 odd games. Like absolutely. I think there's something
1: to be said for Rosie about the captain factor. There's there's always something about when when someone gets a new captaincy, that are just like that kind of just just pushes them up a little bit. So I'm I'm probably in your camp where I think Butters is more suited for super coach selection. However, Rosie, like the captain, like I'm <laughs> I'm being a little bit vibes again based on it. But the captain factor is oh so juicy.
0: Next player that we're going to talk about is Tom Green at the Giants. Before the 40 trades were introduced, people were looking at avoiding him until after the Giants early buy. Now with the 40 trades, people are looking at him as a starting selection and he's jumped into quite a few people's drafts. Where do you guys sit on the Tom Green situation where you only get him for a couple of games before he has a week off. And there, and he, at 621k, could be one of your most expensive midfielders.
1: So I'll say this. and And once again, I appreciate and I love seeing people talk strategy. I love seeing how different people approach the game because so many of you wonderful listeners see it in so many different angles that I'm not thinking about because that's not the way that I choose to play my team. But the, the biggest question that I have to ask about that strategy is why would you give away Tom Green? <laughs> if you selected Tom Green, Tom Green is a jet and he's a baby. He's a baby footballer. Like he's going to be great for so many years. And I, there's something in me where I'd say I would rather find somebody else and then go to Tom Green. Like, that would be my my preference because he's somebody that I want to have in my team forever. And I just... I, I can't bring myself to agree with the idea of bringing him in to sideways off, uh, if anything, minimal price
0: rise. It's kind of the same conversation that we were having about Tom Stewart being moved on for Nick Dacos. It's essentially the same thing where... Yeah. If that's... Th- if that's the direction you want to go, then maybe you start a little bit lower for a player that's, uh, that's going to outperform their price and then go to Tom Green off his buy rather than moving Tom Green at his buy and then hoping you can get him back.
2: If you look at his last four weeks, 145, 119, 129, 126, it's this level of scoring that we want from Tom Green. And we know he's within him. I think around the buy two quick things, and maybe it's oversimplifying it. Are we really damaging our teams? And I use that term maybe carelessly. Are we really damaging our teams to avoid one week? Are we really prepared to do that? If we start and build our teams and we said, take the buyers out, who are the top five premium midfielders that you want to have for the longest portion of the season? I would hazard a guess that Tom Green, for a lot of the community, is in that consideration. And so if that is the case, can't you find a way to make it work? Can't you find a way to build it out? Now, you're not going to see anything in opening round that he's not going to tell you. You know he's an inside bull with plenty of ball winning. He's an absolute beast. We know that. We know that. So now it's how do I structure and make this work around it outside? So to me, it would be, uh, okay, what is the indicator he has to do in these two weeks? Is it 130? 1.30? Does he have to average 130? If he does, okay, that's totally fine. That's what he's got to do. But to me, is it just one week of footy? Yeah. Are you happy to increase your profile of risk with more cash cows on field? Can you look and get a couple more guys that, you know, back to a a yo for a second or a James Jordan on a different team? Are you happy to put a few more mid-price guys to fly through there for you so that in that week you can devalue the risk profile a little bit and escalate. So for me, I'll tell you this. I got Tom Green in my starting squad right now. I just think, I think there's a way you can work through it. And I think as a community, sometimes we just don't get creative enough. Look at the possibilities of how it could work. It changes a few things. Absolutely. Use January, use February. I love that. To try everything. Use and look at all the options. And then if it's not for you, it's not for you. But don't just go, early buy, I'm out. No, 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 Early buy, it could be good still. Based on the
1: the trading plans that people have had as well, if you decide to start Tom Green and something goes wrong as well, that, pla- that plan is now been illuminated to all of us, really. Like I've seen multiple people, different people talking about it. So I think as well, by starting Tom Green, there is actually lower risk based on, what he's capable of performing. And if you choose, if you then get to round three and you decide I have other, I have bigger problems and you keep Tom green for one week where you don't get a score bonus, absolute banging. You're fine. Everything's good. But if he's not going, he's not going how you want him to go. That's the perfect time. Like you said, I think it's perfectly put. Like I love that.
0: I don't think I've been more surprised doing research for these podcasts than when I looked at Tim Kelly's stats from last year. <laughs> Averaged 102.7 across 22 games, but there were 17 scores above 90. And he has quite a high ceiling. Like we, we saw his almost Geelong form return last season. and I think it flew under the radar for a lot of people. And I know he's injured right now, but if he gets up for round one and and he continues where he left off for West Coast heading into this next season, he is a genuine starting option that people could, could look at as someone who you can then move for a Tom Green because he could potentially be under his Un, un, uh, under the price where he should be based on his output. And I never thought that I would look at someone and go, am I talking myself into a player just by doing the research on him? And I don't know if I'm going to start him, but I'm now seriously considering it and I, think, I, and I, don't, I don't know how to feel.
1: <laughs> I, I think you're correct in feeling that it's it's impossible to ignore hard facts. West Coast last year... We've already said this before, and I'm sorry for any West Coast fans listening, but you we've covered this. He West Coast are not good. They were not good last year. They had a handful of players that were absolutely brilliant, like maybe three three guys. Uh, Tim Kelly was probably one of the most prominent. He had a season where, like you said, Damon, he seemed to have a spark. Maybe there was a level of reliance that West Coast had on him to finally elevate himself to perform at, a le- at what he needed to do. Maybe he was given freedom because they had nothing else to throw at the wall when it wasn't working. I don't know necessarily what it is, but now that they've found that, I don't think they can remove that secret source. right? They've brought in Harley Reed, who's a generational talent by all, all state league aspects. You've got got little young kids like Ruben Jimby coming through. You've got all these talents that are at your disposal. Take the things that worked and move forward. That's what any fan wants to see. And I think as super coaches, we can't ignore that Tim Kelly took a step forward and went, Hey, I am here. I'm capable of doing this. This is what I need to get to a point where he's a valid selection. And, in a year where we're talking about starting guys in that middle price range we're not talking about starting every single player who's you know every bond that's 700k and you know christian petrarca at 690k like we're not filling them out guns and rookies style because we have the freedom to do that because we've got these guys who are in that middle area who have proven record to show hey i'm valid i am a, i have a reason to be selected and I'm scared as well, Damo. I'd never thought I would say that about Tim Kelly. And we knew he was talented and I'm I'm genuinely happy for him just as a human because I I love that. He's copped a lot of flack for it over the years, but I think he reminded us, okay. You're you're good. We know. You're good.
0: All right, is anyone considering Stephen Canelio or Josh Kelly? My, my heart wants I to
1: legally... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I legally am obligated to think about Josh Kelly at least once a week
2: until. Yes, March. as you should.
1: That is a correct super. The, the reality is, yeah.
2: it's Tom Green's midfield, and if there's super coach points going anywhere, it's through him first and foremost. I love them both. They might pick up value during the season, but if you're starting with these guys as opposed to a Tom, Tim Kelly, who's a pathway to the uber premium mids because of that early buy. He has to go 110, 120 out of the gate. And I just don't see that. And you'll get at this interesting, challenging juncture. Okay, they go 120 for the first two weeks. Have they done their job and are you prepared to jump off? Or are you like, no, I'm on the guy. So to me, I'd rather look at them post-buy and hope I can get them on the cheap.
1: I think it's very funny, Demo, in the in the sheet, once again, pulling back the curtain, that we have prepared uh Tim, uh, sorry, Josh Kelly, sorry, not Tim Kelly, the other Kelly. Josh Kelly and Stephen Canelio are basically the same player this year in terms of if you're choosing them for your squad. They are both priced, Tim, uh, sorry, Tim <laughs> Kelly again. Josh Kelly is $400 cheaper than Stephen Canelio and me. has point, yeah, point, 0.1 less out of a lower average for the season. <laughs> I think, I think there's probably a reason that we could select them. Would we? You know what you're going to get. I think it shows here. Tom Green's going to be the 130 guy, and Canelio and Kelly are going to be like the Jack Vineys, the the Angus Bray Shores, where there's going to be a sprinkling where they remind you. Yeah, we're Ferraris. Don't forget. But ultimately, Tom Green's the GWS guy.
0: How do we feel about Jack Steele this season? At 529k, it appears that there's a ton of value. But can he return to his 115 average that he had a few years ago that completely left the building when Ross Lyon entered the room?
1: I think the short answer is yes, he can do that. But what what does that look like? How, How does he get there? He had a bit of a rough run. It felt like last year. I think he wasn't quite himself in how their game plan was working. And I believe was it last year that he had quite a bit of injury? Trouble, yeah, yeah. I think it was
2: a dislocated collarbone. Then he had some knee yeah, issues. He's had an off-season yeah. clean out of his ankles. Like you know, he's Elliot Yo there for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and and we see, but we see
1: this quite often where players will just have that dip because they have this pressure to continue performing at the highest level, especially a player like Jack Steele, who for all intents is a franchise player for St. Kilda. He's a name that fans recognize that we all recognize. If I, Even if Jack Steele moved to four other clubs, I would still think he was a St. Kilda player from now until the end of his career. He represents very, very good value. I think at 529, he's in that Sam Walsh tier where premium talent for half the price it feels like
2: i think he's got to be on your watch list if nothing else Um, the key question for me is what's the narrative for why you felt he underperformed last year? Was it those little injury niggles? Was it the changing dynamic in game style and structure? Your answer to that will tell you how you should interpret his preseason. season By all reports, he's back to full training. He's leading the club in a bunch of their key um, aerobic and endurance metrics, which is really, really strong. There's a pathway where I can't see him getting back to being the 120 beast from a few years ago, but at the price point we're paying for, he doesn't need to be. If he can get anywhere towards that 110 range, it's going to be a value return. Equally, he's at that spot. Again, with the 40 trades, I feel really comfortable to go before the price cycle moves, do you start him? Does he help you through those early buys? And if there's another guy that is going to help you more, jump off if he's not. So, again, this is the the possibility of the increased trades is know who the guy's... It, to use a relationship term, you're dating. In that sense, it's like, okay, I'm interested. I'm not married to this. I'm watching this. I'm seeing. And then the moment you're like, you know what? This isn't going to work for me. Just move on. But the moment you're like committed to it, okay, jump in, go for it. Trade it if you need to, but absolutely jump in. I just referred to marrying Jack Steele, so I'll tell my wife.
1: That's fine. You could do You could do worse. I think he's fine to Jay. Referring to Supercoach as kind of a mistress slash full-blown domestic relationship is honestly very accurate, and I feel very seen with how I fight with my team.
0: We know how good they've been in the past, and I'm going to pair these next two guys together. Is Patrick Dangerfield and Ollie Wines, are they still premiums? Are they still premium selections that we can select With any sort of confidence? Uh, Premiums. Premiums, no. Potential value,
2: yes. (laughs) Um, But it all depends on role. Outside of a Cam Guthrie, I want no part of paying up for this Geelong midfield. I just want Mm -hmm. no part of it. Outside of Guthrie, who I feel really quite bullish on, almost him being the main man and being the mentor to these understudy of Clark, of Stevens, of Bruin, um, of those of all these guys coming through. Danger just feels like the salt and pepper mid that's going to come in there at key contests and moments and win it. I can see him picking up DPP during the year. So for Danger, I've just got no interest whatsoever in him. Unfortunately, I think his glory days are gone. The price point or a DPP might change that for me, but not Wines. How much midfield CBAs is he really going to pick up? To to me, that indicates a lot. Is it a tight three? Is Horn Francis going to split that fifty percent up with Wines? If Wines is in that CBA mids at fifty percent or more, I'm interested. If he's anything less than that, I'm just going to jog on and pay no interest.
1: Yeah, I'm not interested in either of them. But in but I'll I'll say it less eloquently. <laughs>
0: So you've already mentioned Cam Guthrie. You see him as possibly the main midfielder at um, at Geelong. And you mentioned a bunch of names that he could be leading, but one name that I feel like you missed out was Max Holmes at uh, 446k. And he showed flashes of what he could produce as a full-time mid. He just didn't stay in that role for the entire season. And We've seen what kind of impact that he can have, in, and you would argue that he was a factor in getting them to the grand final the year that they completely demolished the Sydney Swans. If he can get back into that midfield and is a regular in that midfield with Cam Guthrie, at 446K, he's probably well below what he could average. He's got to be part of that centre bounce rotation. If, if he's stuck on
2: that wing in, a, in that midfield, I'll fade. But at 26,000 difference to a Cam Guthrie, that's where it starts to become, it is Holmes versus Guthrie in a scoring component. Do Do I forecast the natural progression? Because Damo, you're right. His 2022 season was awesome and everything was trending. Now, is he ready and able to step it up? Or is Guthrie the one? The beauty, again, if you're going to get stuck in at this price range, you've got parachutes left, right, and centre to grab the cow you've missed, that mid-price guy that's popping off. You've already done a a couple of number of guys, not just on today's episode, but over the previous three weeks, talking about guys in and around this early 400 range. There is a bunch of options. So if you pick one, awesome. You can trade in and parachute to the other if you need.
1: I'm actually very much in your camp, MJ, of not really wanting much to do with the Geelong midfield group because like you see these names and max max holmes cam guthrie tanner Bruin, and all all these really talented players are not really understanding what mix they're going to want to run between now and season end 2024 because i think there might be a level of experimentation that goes on like is it holmes alone who needs to step up and really take that that midfield spot like you said or you know I I personally, if I had to pick, I would probably want Cam Guthrie to return to some of that responsibility um, and then take that pressure off Max to really, really work on his craft again and to build what they've got as a young side. And they've known this since Selwood left and Dangerfield. How many more seasons is he going to play? So they need to really get these mentors in place now to build what's their future, which means there's going to be a lot of sharing in my mind.
0: The next player on the list is Ruben Jinby, um, 354K, a true mid-pricer at his price. He, he looked impressive when they put him into the midfield. And if West Coast was serious about trying to get up the ladder again and quickly... He should be part of their midfield rotation as quick as possible. Um, we won't spend too much time on him, but is he someone that you, that either of you looked at as a potential mid-pricer in the midfield?
1: Love the player. Don't think he's my mid-price option.
0: We've got to get some increase in volume of ball
2: wins at plenty of defensive stuff, tackles like an absolute truck. I would hate to be having the ball within 10 metre radius of him. Um, he would steamroll <laughs> you into the next universe, but yeah, he, he needs to build that possession count for me to see that it can absolutely happen, but I'd rather trade into it than start with it and move off of it.
0: And some cheap ears that people are looking at in the midfield, Jai Clark at Geelong Clay Hall Um, by all reports, is really close to being in that round one side already and George Stevens at Geelong as well. Moving to the ruck line, starting with Rowan Marshall at St. Kilda, averaged 114.3 over 23 games, 639k. He seems to be the one that people are shifting to if they're not starting a Max Gorn or a Tim English.
1: Yeah, I think it makes sense. Rowan Marshall, like without you know, without going to into a rant about it, I don't think there's much to say about Rowan Marshall in terms of you know exactly what you're gonna get. He's got a lead rock roll, he's very talented, he's six hundred and thirty nine thousand dollars, and you're gonna get that level of value from him. If you wanna pay up to get him get him. If you don't, I also understand because there's one of about seven great options.
2: I think the beauty of it is we'll see a lot of diversity in Ruck structure this year. Last year, it was Marshall and English and politely every other structure proved to be flawed in the end. Whereas this year in the starting squads, you can build beautiful narratives around Gorn around English, around a Grundy, even around a Cherry for some value, around a Rowan Marshall, who you mentioned, and even a Kieran Briggs. You can build this narrative around all these guys and go, are there one ten plus potential scoring with them all? Yes. Can they elevate themselves to the top tiers? Yeah. So I'm fascinated to see how people structure it up because, as you said, Clarkie, there's about seven players you can put on field at R1 and R2 with the combos, and all of them I go... Yeah, I get it. Briggs is probably the one I'm least bullish on of all of that upper-end guys, um, but absolutely. Yeah, I agree. You, if someone's like, I'm big on Briggs going to a new level, i go, I see it. I'd probably rather Gorn or I'd probably rather English or I'd probably rather this or that, but that's okay. Like That's the beauty of it. So there's going to be some great diversity through our Ruck lines, and the beauty is there's actually some really nice R3 options that if we get some luck, We can protect any structure you go through those first six weeks with the buyers as well.
0: You mentioned Kieran Briggs and he's next on the list here at 608K. And one thing that stood out to me with Kieran Briggs last season was at about around 21, I think it was on Fox footy. They brought up a graphic that compared Max Gorn's all Australian year with Kieran Briggs' second half of the season to, to that point. And Briggs had actually outperformed Max Gorn in terms of a solo ruck perspective and his impact ar- around the ground. So if Briggs continues on that trajectory and continues to build on his game and is a key part of that center bounce setup for the Giants again, he is someone that, at 608K, like you said, MJ, he was in a version of my team, but I couldn't convince myself through everything that I had learned about him that I wanted to no. start him. That's not to say I want to eventually have him, but he's someone who is outside the box, and your ruck line is probably somewhere where you want the most stability to start off with, given how unstable it has been in the previous couple of years and you said that we might have a playing r3 but there's also a case of how much do you want to spend on your r3 to give yourself some parachute options for if someone goes off injured or whatever it is so i like rowan marshall like kieran briggs if you put them up against each other i'm going to choose marshall every day of the week I can see the argument for starting Kieran Briggs. But if you can't put if you put all the arguments together and you're still not convincing yourself, then you don't start that player. So you so for me, I'm not starting Kieran Kieran Briggs.
1: I would like to I I'll be the first person to make a break break sound for Kieran. But my biggest question is season long endurance as a solo rock. We pick someone like Max Gorn. Because we know he can do it for 20, he could do it for 30 rounds, I reckon, with his level of athleticism and endurance. Briggs only had half a year, really, as from round round 10 onwards, and I think even the first couple of games he had was split with a few people. I remember, I believe Flynn at least played one with him, and he scored wonderfully. He is like a new generation of old school Ruckman, and it's wonderful to see I personally will be staying away from him just because I wouldn't want to pick him and then have him get to you know, say the inverse, get to round, get to his bye and crawl to the bye because he's he's busted, he's he's bruised, he's tired, and that's that's perfectly natural and it's perfectly fine. He's still he still has the opportunity to build that. That's my biggest concern with starting him.
0: Matt Flynn and Ivan Soldo both moved clubs in the off-season. Matt Flynn to West Coast, Ivan Soldo to Port Adelaide. Without knowing what the setup is going to look like at either of these clubs, because they're both changing their ruck setup, I don't think they're players that you can start. But Matt Flynn in particular would be one I'd be pleasantly surprised to see move up into a premium sort of territory, a little like what Jared Witts um, had in his first full season at the Suns.
2: Look, there's absolutely a path where it happens, but you've got to now put Flynn and, and like you said, to a lesser extent, Soldo up against who in this price range you're choosing him over. And you've got a Brody Grundy, for example, at 491000 You've got a Tristan Cherry, who, yes, he's got that facial fracture at the moment, but the club are really confident he'll play in those pre-season matches. You're now choosing them over this. And in Grundy's case, you've got a legacy history of being an absolute top liner. And in a Cherry's case, you've got patches where you've seen it and a pathway where he's clear and supreme number one. Whereas you could build a case that Flynn and Williams ruck share at West Coast. Is Soldo and Sweet really as drastically clear as we might think it is. All the track watches at Port Adelaide, yes, Soldo's been a little bit injured, but Sweets banging the door down trying to make this opportunity his. So to me, I'm with you, Damo. I think if you're going to spend in that price range, Grundy and or Cherry is the right approach, but wouldn't shock me to see Flynn jump up from what, an 88 average? If he pushes a 95, even towards a 98, 99, 100, I'd be like, yep,
0: I get that. That makes sense. And you mentioned Jordan Sweet there as a potential cheapy option, but Toby Conway has also been playing as the first ruck at Geelong Match Sims as well. He's 180K. So he's someone who, as you were talking about, a potential R3 option that we could start, even though it is a little bit expensive to be on. I'm really quite comfortable paying up on the bench uh, a little bit. If
2: you're not using the DPP link, that's obviously the premise, Um, then to me, I I think you can look at this. There's a world where Conway's R1 already. Uh, We'll wait and see and watch and hold what the preseason is, but it wouldn't shock me if they bring him into the the fold and protect it with Blikavs in the team rather than running it back with a Reese Stanley and the same with the Jordan Sweet. If the forever injured Ivan Soldo can't keep it together for a six to eight week stretch, well, I'm happy to lay that extra 30 or 40,000 in if I'm not utilising that DPP link of Ruck forward in my team. So to me at the moment, I'm really quite comfortable doing it. Naismith isn't in these teams, but he's another that might get some games through there as well. But
0: yeah, I'm okay to pay up if you're not using DPP. We'll move to the forward line. And I'm going to start with the cheapies this time, just because the forward line is the forward line. (laughs) I think we're all picking Harley Reid. It looks like he's going to play across half back with stints in the midfield, similar to what we saw with Harry Sheezel last season. And the kid's are jet. He's going to be. He's going to have no issues with finding the ball. It's just about what he averages. And I'm not saying he's going to average 100 out the gate like Harry Sheezel did, but I think he's going to be okay and a pretty good cash cow for us. Um, Darcy Wilson, Darcy Jones, and Sean Manor as well. Those are three guys who could quite comfortably stick on your bench. Even Sean Manor might be one that we stick on our field eventually because he appears to be tearing it up at the Geelong training as well. Um, so,
1: so Damon, just to just to summarise that, you, you think Harley Reed's going
0: to be good? <laughs> <laughs> just a hunch. Just, just a hunch. Just got a vibe. Um, it's the Marbo. Yeah. I mean, I'm not quite sure about number one picks. I feel like I prefer when when they're taken in like the 30s or 40s. Yeah, I'm but, more of a
1: 70s guy. If you, yeah,
0: I'm I, I'm a Mr. Irrelevant guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely understand. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Harley Reid, I think he's going to be good. I think I would like don't, to just don't, don't, don't hold me to it. <laughs> we
1: won't hold it against you, Damon. I would like to say Sean Manner is someone who I'm really excited about because I think mature age talent could be something once again like we were saying before it's weird to say i'm not going to touch the geelong midfield and then have a guy who's a forward mid and basically ready to play afl and go oh but maybe him though because he doesn't count because i
0: want to pick him so in the forward line um we'll go back to the other end of the price scale now uh toby green uh, averaged 91 across 21 games he he scores like a small forward who gets midfield time he probably does it a little bit better than some other players but he scores like a small forward who gets some midfield time and he's someone who is fun to own but yes. i don't know, but i don't know if he's a starting selection or someone whose price will shoot up or down dramatically i think he'll have games where he can score 120 and then other games where he can score a 60 and Fun to own if you can get him on the right part of his schedule, but I don't think he's a starting selection.
1: Embrace the fun, <laughs> Damo.
2: It wouldn't it. shock me after the two rounds oh. he's on 300 total points given those first two-week matchups that he has. It also wouldn't shock me if he's on a total of 500 points after the first seven weeks. So just that volatility of scoring that's there. Like, he couldn't have played any better last year in that role. Like, if you just looks objectively at how good he was – he deserved everything that came his way in a football accolade sense. And yet we're talking about a 91 average. And so I look at that with that probably is about as good as we're going to get. And if we're a bit hesitant to pay up for a Tom Stewart, to, to throw back to the start of the episode, who, who might not have any more growth capacity within him and, and still appears to be a top-line defender for us, I don't want to pay up for a guy that I don't think could go much more than 95 in the forward lines when I feel like I could find some supreme value underneath that boosts up, let alone hoping and praying for some DPP that historically will come our way as gains this season. You know what? I will say we've spoken about using a few of those
1: little extra trades to kind of get an edge on maybe a matchup that you've got. Toby Green, I think, is a perfect player to think of in those kinds of situations. Just go, this week's a close one because he's someone who willingly will put his team on his back. And that's what has made him so much more amicable with the fans, I would say. you know, I think the opinion on Toby Green has really reached its peak redemption arc, and I'm I'm a big fan of that. So, like you said, they were fun to own, but I think he's going to be more someone that we look at when we go, oh... I kind of just need a pinch hitter for this week. Is the matchup good? Does Is there data to support that? And I'd be okay.
0: I'm grouping the next four players because I feel like they're very similar in the roles that they could have in the 2024 season. So Jeremy Finlayson at Port Adelaide probably doesn't have the Monopoly on the Ruck anymore at Port Adelaide. Jeremy Cameron used to be a premium, but who knows if he can get back there. Tom Hawkins used to be a premium, but who knows if he can get back there. And Mitch Owens was a premium until, well, kind of a premium until Ben King came back from injury. All four of these guys have a similar scoring profile in how they get their points. Do any of them hold any interest to eat to, to either of you? <laughs>
1: Uh, just listeners, uh, there was a split second where I know that we are recording this virtually, but MJ and I somehow linked eyes at that moment to go. I'm hmm, mm, um, uh, fun to own. Mitch fun to own. I like machito I think he's a really good young talent. I okay. Out of out of those four, speaking yep. genuinely, Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins, mixed bag, but. It's kind of, it's a bit Charlie Kerno esque isn't it? Yeah. If they're on track to contend for a Coleman, you've got someone who's fieldable every week. Like, we're talking multiple goal scorer, really highly contested forward, loves Clunk and Marks, both of them love love kicking bags. Jeremy Cameron also absolutely loves running into umpires, which is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, there's, there's a world where we look at our forward lines and... I think this year might be the year where we maybe have to consider just one or two key forwards, just one or two. Like maybe, like it's not the worst thing in the world. And you could do worse than Tom Hawkins is always up there. Like, how is he doing this every year? He's always on the list. He's always that guy. Like, okay, you're still, you're still doing it. You're still doing. Stats, it. Stats
2: with they come with a name attached to it. Sometimes lead us towards a bias. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's yes. not. What if I told you there's a player in our forward lines right now that over the first six games of last year averaged 114, which included 149, 156, a 119 and a 106 in that. What if I told you there's a guy in our forward lines that if you were to just extend that out to the first eight games of the year is going an average of a 107 in Supercoach. And by the way, has got some really weird scores when you look at him as well, including a sub game where he was subbed out For a minus three, and it's the same player, a guy that unbeknownst for no reason in Supercoach still gave us that same year, a 38. Same guy and is priced 10 points below what he's historically done. I'm talking about Jeremy Cameron. You talk about a guy that can get on a tear through that first six weeks of the year. If you're thinking, how do I find ceiling matches through this first six weeks where everybody's looking at forwards going, I hate it. I I haven't spoken to anyone in the community yet that I asked them about their forward line that deep in their gut they go, I love this forward line. Everybody feels a little murky about a part of it. <laughs> and we're all just like, it's like when you, if you owned um, Jaden Hunt at any point last year at West Coast, you knew it was good, Whoa. but you didn't want to tell anybody because you felt like you were confessing some kind of unbeknownst sin to the universe around it. we <laughs> are like, I don't want to tell you this, but I own Jaden Hunt. So we look at this forward line and go, I don't like it. So I say, where's the upside and where's the value? And, yes, let's look at that 400 range, that 350 range, that 450 range. But as you've done so beautifully for us here, Damo, it says a guy at 462 that has got multiple years where he's shown he can go 90 and he's got as recent as 12 months ago, six and eight-week stretches where he's delivering scores that are beast mode. If you can think he can repeat the way he started last year, into this year when everybody's farting around with guys that are only going 80s and 90s in their forward line, you're flying. Oh, and there's no early buyer to deal with. Pivot, jump on. Then you get on Flanders if he's firing. Then you get on McRae if he's flying. Then you get on whoever's picked up DPP. So for me, Jeremy Cameron, you're right, clarky On his day, he's the best forward in Supercoach. And if you can get a couple of them early, that's yeah, a risk. But again, we've got the trades to be able to get away with taking a few more risks. It's so wild to look at Jeremy Cameron's scores from last year. Like it
1: is, it is a journey and it has got me massively pressed just looking at it and going, you're right. Like you're hundred percent right. If you pick a guy who starts this year and gives you, if you said, Oh, you can have Jeremy Cameron. He's in the first six rounds though, he's gonna score three scores over 150 and three scores under 80. I'd be like, take, done, salt, yeah. give it bang the gavel. <laughs>
0: yeah. What do
1: you want? <laughs> Especially if you're playing for leagues. Like I know we we talk a lot of overall classic here, but he's a leagues guy as well. Jeremy Cameron's a great leagues guy. That west that West Coast week. It's juicy. Oh.
2: Look at that fixture. Oh. That's all I'll <laughs> say. Just look at the fixture. There's some nice games in there, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> not telling you what to do, but just saying join the party.
0: And that's the end of this episode. MJ, thanks for joining us. You've got your top 50 most relevant rolling through at the moment. You're up to number 20 24. Oh, 20,
2: I don't know anymore. I'm in the I'm in the mid 20s. I was about to say who's coming up next, and I'm like that might not be public yet. So I might not say. We've just Uh, as of time of
1: recording it'll be 25 okay so yeah
2: officially halfway through the 50 most relevant so no, i've I've loved that so many different content creators been getting involved uh this pre-season on it and definitely might need to sneak you boys on actually before we wrap up the 50 before we get there but yeah no it's a staple part of our pre-season and the fact that people listen love it and support it we're, we're very very grateful for that
1: and we won't spoil any of it but there's some really really good names in there and I will say, MJ, you got you and the whole coaches panel team do one of my favorite things, which content creators as a whole, we're getting a lot better about. But you guys, as, as far as I'm concerned, are the originators of just encouraging diverse opinion. You're not about telling people how to play Supercoach or AFL Fantasy or Dream Team. You're about telling people, just consider it. And and that's so important when you want to have open conversations with people, and you know, really thanks to all of you guys for for being a part no, of that.
2: It's a pleasure. You want to have you want to have opinions, and you want to be bold, but you also want to make sure you don't. Uh, lose the opportunity to foster a new way of thinking and looking and, and certainly that's what we love to do at the coaches panel so yeah appreciate people going to the website and watching the videos and listening to the podcast we we love what we get to do and, and like you guys like we do this because we love it um, and we love to be able to add value back to the community that for us has been really important as well.
0: go and check out the coaches panel they've got a YouTube channel now so go and subscribe. Watch their most fifty. Listen to their most fifty. Where you consume your podcasts, read their top fifty on their website. All that will be linked in the description. Clarky thanks for joining me again.
1: Always a pleasure. And I'm going to take this moment to plug for us, Damo. Go to whatever podcast about you know what do this for do this for coaches panel and MJ as well. If you listen to coaches panel, footy mailbag, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go and give us a review. Reviews help us with engagement. They help us get an idea of what you like, what you don't like. We prefer that you give us five stars, obviously, but it really really does help us get noticed the more reviews that we get on those platforms. Um, And I'm going to take a personal note to uh, plug The Falcon. Uh, I also host another footy podcast called The Falcon. We are currently talking to supporters of different teams to talk about why they support their teams, which has been
2: super fascinating. So go and check us out genuinely do it like if you're listening to this episode it means you love dame and clark like plain and simple you, you love what this footy mailbag is about just to pull behind the scenes from a content creator's perspective they do it because they love it but they also want as many people as possible to be able to be part of this community and so little things by listening make a difference But the algorithms of how podcasts work is new subscribers, people reviewing and people engaging in the reviews actually give it a boost. And the more boost it is in the charts, the more people it appears to. The more people it appears to, the greater opportunity is for this to be a sustainable project for these guys who are giving up their time. So from someone who understands it on the other side, can I just let you as you're listening know, if you do love this podcast that the boys are doing, it will literally take you 30 seconds to go to the app, give it a five-star, Leave a genuine comment. The boys will appreciate it, and it will help the engagement and the reach, which means that this podcast can be being longer and stronger and greater for
0: you, let alone for the community. So please jump in and have a go. Thanks for that, MJ. And that's the end. This has been the Footy Mailbag, and we'll talk next time.
1: See ya.